Hey friends and welcome back to another episode of the Euphoria Health Podcast. For any new listeners out there, my name is Matt Sapala and I am your host. Having the opportunity to educate and inspire people to make more healthful choices every day really fills my cup. By my way of background, I'm a qualified personal trainer and I'm currently studying a Bachelor of Health Science majoring in nutrition. As a young kid, I was extremely overweight and never really placed a high priority on my health or well-being and it never really impacted my life until the age of 13 and 14. I started moving my body with a purpose and watching what I ate by gaining inspiration off the internet at around about this age and little did I know this was the beginning of something that would impact my life in a detrimental way. I battled for years emotionally eating and restricting the bad foods during the week and then relying on willpower to get me through. Then on the weekend when the willpower ran out I would be binging on those exact same foods that I deprived myself on during the week. Followed by some guilt-filled training sessions, well not some, a lot of guilt-filled training sessions where I would run myself into the ground as punishment for the foods I consumed and I soon realised that this is a completely unsustainable way of losing weight. Having been through that and come out the other side, I, I want to be a coach that inspires you daily create habits that impact your life healthfully and I want these things to last for a lifetime. I don't want to be a coach that promotes quick fixes. I want to be a coach that is your own fix. Back to this week's special guest guys, I was extremely humbled to have one of my idols on the podcast and an absolute icon in the whole food practical nutrition space. And that's nutritionist and dietitian Lindy Cohen. Lindy makes it her life work to help people understand the psychology behind binge eating and subsequent eating disorders. She aims to stamp out diet culture and sheds light on just how detrimental this diet culture can be. Lindy aims to reduce the rules we associate with food and bring it back to basics. Eat whole foods majority of the time and move your body in ways that you enjoy. Because after all, that's the most sustainable way. She truly is preaching sustainability and helping people understand the true meaning of nourishment for your body from the inside out. Lindy focuses less on your physical appearance and more on your relationship with food, which is an area I believe is so, so important. When you're 50 guys, the size you were when you were 18 won't matter, but your relationship with food and the habits you have around food well. During today's episode, we chat at length about the above topics, and I wish that I heard this podcast when I was in the midst of my dieting phase. Guys, if this episode can help even one person, I will be an extremely happy man. In saying that, a little disclaimer that the content we chat about may be triggering for some people that are going through anything very similar, so don't hesitate to reach out to myself and Lindy and to the support networks that will sit in the show notes. Again, friends, the Euphoria Health Podcast is not intended to be medical advice and any changes to your diet and lifestyle should be done under the guidance of a healthcare practitioner. 
That's all from me, friends. I hope you enjoy the show as much as I did, and I cannot wait to see you on the other side. Lindy Cohen, welcome to the Euphoria Health Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you on. I was saying to you just off air before, you are literally like one of my idols. So this is a real pinch me moment having the (laughs) opportunity to interview you today. Okay, well, I hope I can live up to that hype because that's a pretty (laughs) high pedestal. (laughs) (laughs) You already have lived up to it. Like anyone that knows you, you're doing some incredible work within the nutrition space and, and really changing the stigma associated with complexity around food and and really making it simplified so we don't have to open up this whole big can of worms that comes along with the mental battles associated with food I know we're going to get into that later in the show but how have you been through 2020 I know it's been a a roller coaster of a year how are you doing I'm I'm actually doing pretty well I know it's been a bit of a crazy one but um I've been pregnant for I guess by the end of it I would have been pregnant for nine months of it So I've had something to look forward to and a really kind of nice time. You know, when I was, when I was pregnant and I wasn't drinking, I didn't have to pretend that I wasn't drinking to anyone because there was nowhere to go. (laughs) There are silver linings. Like I'd never had to wear a bra. I didn't have to wear makeup. Like, (laughs) you know, you always got to look at like the good things that happened as a result of this as well. I can't relate with the bra and makeup side of things, but I was <laughs> rolling around the house with pretty much nothing on, which was awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's so fun. No, it's so good. And I think this this time as, you know, challenging as it, as it has been for some people, it's really given us the opportunity to slow down. And, you know, like our, our life was so manic, whatever aspect that we were in before COVID. So having this forced shutdown has given us the ability to really focus on what's important in our life. Mm, and I, I think we're a bit addicted to busyness and productivity. And I think it's just been a really good opportunity to stop and slow down, get good at saying no. I, def- I definitely have. Um, but the trick is now when things do open up is how do we not fall back into that pattern of perpetual busyness and chaos and the anxiety that can come with it, which is something I know pretty well in my life. Um, so I think that's going to be my challenge for 2021. Yeah, totally agree with that, Lindy. And it's funny you say that. I was listening to a podcast this morning on my walk and um, one of the interviewers said that the way we are in in our society, we label like our burnout and our um, our adrenal fatigue as like a pedestal thing. Like it's a bucket list item to tick off and we really associate that with being like the right thing to do. When if you really stop and think it's such a horrible thing, why would we associate that? with you know working hard and why is that associated with success you know what I mean Mm, mm. and I I I think I know a lot of successful people um, but I don't know that many people who are deeply happy within themselves and in their lives and I definitely don't often see a correlation between those people who are typically successful where people look at them and go oh I wish you know wow look how successful she looks or can't believe he bought that house Um, and when you really just like scrub down to it you're like you know what from what I've heard they're not actually super happy and that's a really stressful life. And if that's what success looks like, then we actually need to go, "Mm, I don't want that kind of level of success. I want a different kind of success where I can fall asleep at night easily. And I don't stress about what I ate that day or stress about how I'm going to get through the next week. 
Yeah, I totally agree with you there, Lindy. And I guess this is an area that me and you both know really well. And that's, I guess, if we're looking about success in, in the health and fitness industry, we often associate with success or, or quote unquote, healthy with how we look. And we associate mm. all of our healthful, in a, a quotation mark, decisions based on our overall appearance, which I think is super, super detrimental. And I'd love to unpack that a little bit later on in the show, because I know you have such an amazing story to share. And I think a lot of the listeners out there will definitely be able to relate. So Lindy, I'd love to know what life was like for you growing up and what was your earliest memory of food? Well, let's go right back to the beginning. I am, I think I was about five when I first realized, when I first thought, Oh, I think I'm a bit bigger than some of the other girls. I was in ballet class. I was in a leotard and just kind of looked at the way my thighs were and, you know, compared to other people. But I didn't really give it too much thought. I was always this really sporty kid. I've got twin older brothers, so my entire life was trying to keep up with them, uh, trying, to, trying to be one of the boys. It wasn't until I hit puberty, which it was quite early, about when I was about 10 or 11, that my weight started to become something I worried about. And I basically went to see a dietitian who said to me, hey, you're actually a healthy weight. There's nothing wrong with you, but I understand that you probably want to weigh less, that you probably want to be perceived as slim. And so if that's the case, then this is what you could eat to get to that point. And so began a very long and torturous relationship with food where I would go to appointments and get weighed and the success of my eating for that week would be determined by how much I weighed, um, where I was told that I'm a good girl for being the correct weight when um, it didn't really matter how disordered I got. And, you know, by the end of it, you know, over the next 10 years, I became incredibly disordered. Um, One of the hard things I find about when you have an eating disorder, but you don't look like you have an eating disorder is how socially acceptable these really unhealthy habits seem to be where, you know, if you are underweight, people are like, Oh, you really have to, you know, you have to stop doing these things. But if you're overweight, then suddenly it's okay for, you know, people to make jokes about you just skipping meals and not eating, or um, it was totally ignored by everyone around me. The fact that I was over-exercising and, and, and developing these really deeply unhealthy habits. By the time I was 17, um, I had seen many nutritionists and dietitians at this point. I had become obsessed with nutrition in a way that I guess from an external person, you were like, oh, she just really cares about nutrition and great. Um, but I was deeply disordered. In fact, the reason I wanted to become a dietitian is for the very fact that I thought to myself, you know, you know, when I was finishing school, if I'm a dietitian, I have to be the right weight because if I'm the wrong weight, then no one will come see me. And so I actually got into the profession for the wrong reasons, but I'm, I'm getting ahead about my, of myself. When I got to 21, I reached a point where I had been dieting now for 10 10 years and I had tried so many diets and yet here I was at 21 deeply hateful of my body at this point I was technically morbidly obese based on the BMI which is a stupid system but anyway that's that's where I fell on it I had developed binge eating disorder where I knew exactly what I should be eating but the more I tried to 
to eat healthily, or actually, no, the more I tried to not eat, let's be honest, the more I couldn't stop eating. And I felt like such a failure. So it got, I got to a breaking point. And I remember the moment where I went, I went shopping for clothes and I, you know, was trying on bigger sizes and bigger sizes because I was, you know, the more obsessed I become, the more weight I was gaining. Um, and I got, looked in the mirror and I was just so deeply sad, not sad, I mean, yes, sad about my weight, but more sad about the sadness of this person who was looking back at me. And I drove straight to my GP after this, at this, you know, trying on these clothes. And that's where I was diagnosed with anxiety. Um, at this point, I wasn't diagnosed with an eating disorder because no one had been able to pick it up for the last 10 years. And it was only in, you know, a couple of years later that binge eating disorder was actually even added to the diagnostic criteria. So, you know, it technically didn't exist before then. And I remember reading about binge eating disorder. And for the first time I was like, yes, there was nothing really um, fundamentally wrong with who I am. This is something that people experience. This is something that is actually a very normal, natural response to severe restriction or trauma. Um, and so from the age of 21, I'm, you know, at this point, I, I'd gone through my degree, become a dietitian, and I, I graduated thinking there is no way that I'm going to practice in the same way that those people who I had been sent to when I was younger had, had treated me um, because I think it was more harmful than good. And so I thought, all right, to, until I, I have to sort out my relationship with food, my relationship with myself before I can be a great practitioner. And in fact, I really believe that, you know, if you have, you know, some people might go, well, if you've had an eating disorder, you probably shouldn't be, you know, helping people in this way. And I actually think, no, because I've had binge eating disorder before, because I've understood how dark and deep eating disorders can get, I am so empathetic and understanding and I have so much capacity to help people through that. So I actually think it makes you a better practitioner. So yeah, that, that's where I was. That was 20, I was 21. I'm now 30. And so I've spent the last, you know, almost a decade now working on my relationship with food and getting to a point where I'm now a fully intuitive eater, the kind of person who I might forget to eat because food doesn't control me anymore. I don't lie in bed at night feeling guilty for what I've eaten. I never feel like I have to start over from scratch. I exercise because I genuinely really enjoy it and it makes me feel good. And the, the thought of calories does not even come into my brain. And I think I couldn't have imagined how life-changing that would be. And life-changing is not a word I just throw around, by the way. But when you are so unhealthy around food, it does take over your brain. And I think it's really hard for us to actually stop and go, this isn't the way it's meant to be. I don't need to spend the rest of my life, my life, you know, every Monday feeling like I have to start from scratch every day. And I think that's just the point I needed to get to before I thought it's time for a completely new approach. Wow, Lindy, I have so many light bulbs going off in my brain right now. And we could <laughs> open up so many different cans of worms, which I want to touch on later, a little bit longer, later on in the podcast. And Something resonated with me when you were just speaking then, and it was about having that restriction mentality. And I definitely experienced that. And a lot of my listeners would know how detrimental that was for me and my mental health. And I remember distinctly, I was coming from a, a calories in, calories out perspective, always chasing 
to lose weight. I was quite a, a big kid as well. I was mm. about a hundred kilos when I was 12 years old. And I was, I was not unhappy, so to speak, but I always knew that like, maybe I was a little bit bigger, like you said, than the other, pe- than the other people. And it got to a point where I was just recycling through these diets and I found this, this calorie counting aspect. And for me, like it was amazing when I first started and, oh my God, looking back on that now, it's just like how much trauma that caused me through the three or four years that I did. And the turning point for me, like, sorry, the the whole process for me was sticking to my calories, which weren't even accurate at that point in time. I was having 1,200 calories as a 16, 17-year-old, which is something that a toddler should eat. Um, and then restricting myself. And then on the weekend, I would just binge and eat anything and everything. And, you know, I'd use this mentality that calories don't count on the weekends, right? And I think that it being involved in the, the health and fitness industry and seeing that everywhere that everything is so simplified to a calories in calories out situation. It just, it, it goes much deeper than that. And it, we don't really quantify the effects that it's having on us from just simplifying it to calories in calories out. Yeah. It's deeply terrifying. If you think about the fact that I don't know the actual percentage, but let's say it's 90% of healthcare professionals slash the health industry think that telling people that they need to eat fewer calories is the right way to go about it even though we we know statistically it does not work but it really does not work but it causes damage and yet this is still common practice it blows my mind and the I mean you have different celebrities selling different kinds of diets and under the guise that this is not a diet that's one of my pet peeves at the moment this whole idea of people saying oh well you know diets are bad um, but buy this diet book that I'm selling at the same time. And it's just, you know, it's, it's confusing people even further who are trying to do the right thing, trying to, trying to be healthy for health's sake um, and getting caught up in, you know, whether it's calorie counting back when we were a bit younger and now it's macro counting as this new calorie counting and it'll be something else at some point. And we're just recycling through new diets. It's funny how the human brain works, how we're always looking for that sort of quick fix mentality within a new diet that enables us to get to our goals, but disregard everything else in the process. And we always Mm. want to go for what we want to be at the end. We always want the destination, but we never actually want to live in the journey. Mm, Because rules, rules are easy to follow. Rules are enjoyable. And I think we have to actually recognize the fact that when you're in an eating disorder there is a sense of enjoyment that comes from it uh, an addictiveness that you get in you get kind of a high off the fact that you are being you know quote unquote being so good or sticking to something so well and so I think that's one of the hard things about recovering from an eating disorder or getting out of that mindset is because when things are going you know well from an eating disorder in an eating disorder world you don't want it to stop. You actually like who you are when that's happening. And I think that's a really important thing to realize that um, it's kind of like this, this short term version of yourself who you're like, Oh, I like who I am at this moment. And until you realize that that version of you is deeply harmful, that's keeping you stuck in the same place you've always been. And until you're willing to let go of the joy that you might get from the eating disorder, you'll stay stuck exactly where you are. And potentially getting worse because if an eating disorder doesn't get treated, we know statistically it does get worse over time. 
Yeah, so beautifully said there, Lindy. I'd I'd love to, before we take this conversation any further for the listeners at home, define what the diet culture is and how an eating disorder is clinically diagnosed. Mm. (laughs) So for an eating disorder to be diagnosed, you've got different criteria for different eating disorders. Um, So for anorexia nervosa, for example, you have a a weight that you need to be under um, based on BMI and you have certain kind of other criteria like if you're a girl, you lose your period. Um, The thing is that many people, some people will fit this criteria, but it's almost like you have to wait until you're so sick already before you get some kind of diagnosis that you get some kind of help so what we have is loads of people who couldn't technically be diagnosed with an eating disorder and never are but are deeply disordered in the way that they think about food and the way that they're dealing around food um and i that's the bit that really gets me quite i think we really we really got to change that um so for example someone who's if you diagnosed with binge eating disorder, um, you have to have the same, you know, feel out of control around food um, at least once a week ongoing for several months um, before you're diagnosable. And, but what we know about binge eating is if you don't treat it, these things get worse. So we're actually waiting until people get pretty sick before they can get a diagnosis. And as I mentioned before, if you don't look like you have an eating disorder, the chances of you being diagnosed appropriately are pretty slim um, because it's more socially acceptable in our culture to be a health, you know, to be a slim weight. Um, we prefer someone to be a slim weight than we would for them to just be a health, have a healthy relationship with food and not have this perfect looking body. And so I think we have a diet culture that's jeopardizing our health, that's compromising our well-being, that's sending really shitty messages out everywhere to say that as long as you're slim, you can, you can sacrifice your health. And you'll read it in health magazines all the time. You know, people giving out disordered advice that's really, you know, it's under the guise of weight loss. But really all it is is, is is giving people eating disorders and it's deeply wrong. Yeah, I would totally agree with you there, Lindy. The misinformation out there is just extremely, extremely detrimental. And I've said this time and time again, there's everyone's a nutrition expert when it comes to talking about nutrition. And, you know, the consumer doesn't know whether to distinguish Sally on Facebook posting her seven-day transformation challenge and a qualified nutritionist who's actually posting, who's actually been to university to study and understands the body on a chemical level. Like, it's crazy how the human brain can't distinguish between the two bits of advice. And scarily, uh, when we when we ask people, where do you get your health advice from? Majority of people are saying social media. So it is kind of wild. And the reason that your Sally on social media does so well is because what she's putting out there is hugely compelling. She's she's dishing out rules. She's giving out a meal plan. She's telling people when to eat, what to eat. And this is very easy to follow. but the people who are not giving that advice, who are being, who are giving more general advice, they're the ones who probably have the credentials, who know what they're talking about, but it's not going to get shared far and wide. It's not going to be as easy to adopt. And so it doesn't get the traction. And so we have a real issue now of, you know, 
the influencer generation. It's also this idea that if someone looks beautiful, if they have this perfect looking body, that we assume they are healthy. What we don't see, of course, is the potential eating disorder that's happening or the the depression that means that they're not eating enough or the complete obsession with the gym that means that they have no social life as a result of you know them needing to have this perfect body. Um, it's deeply flawed. And I think what's one of the things that's happening at the moment is you have Pete Evans's career kind of just imploding on, you know, it's kind of been a while in the making, but that's an example of someone who, who got really extreme views with no evidence to behind, behind them. And because he was seen as reputable, you have, he has like what, one, one and a half million Facebook followers and has a lot of clout. So it is kind of scary stuff. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And that's something that's really, really blowing up on social media at the moment, the Pete Evans movement, but that's a, another conversation. We'll unpack yeah. that a bit, maybe at another time. And I want to take it back a bit, Lindy, when you mentioned the undiagnosed eating disorders and that and that's another thing that sent off alarm bells in my head because I, at the point in time when I was going through my quote-unquote dieting phase, I didn't know what an eating disorder was and I didn't know that my patterns were distorted then and only looking back now I realized that wow like my eating patterns and my eating behaviors and my eating mindset were completely distorted and I was never diagnosed and I never had this sort of stereotype image of what an eating disorder would look like and it's an it's an illness it's in disguise. Mm, That's exactly what it is it's an illness in disguise Um, And I really think there's a lack of a diagnosis around disordered eating. Like at what point do we slip, we we go down the slippery slide and we go from healthy eating to disordered eating? Um, Whereas how can we tell the difference between that sort of advice? I think what we've been doing for a very long time and one of the things I'd love to see changed is we place a lot of importance on the expert and their opinion and their advice And we see, you know, we hear nutritionism, nutrition advice from literally everyone um, on social media, it feels. And they're all often in conflict with each other. So it leaves us feeling deeply overwhelmed about what we're actually meant to do. And I think to help us easily get out of this sense of, oh, there's so much nutrition noise. I don't know what to do. I feel overwhelmed. What we need to start teaching people is how to tune into their bodies and listen to what their body is constantly trying to tell them. Because when we, when we stop listening to all the food rules in your brain, so think about when you were a kid, you know, did someone say to you, you have to have breakfast, it's the most important meal of the day? Or did they say you have to eat frequently to keep your metabolism going? You shouldn't have carbohydrates after a certain time. This food is bad for you. This food is good for you. Um, if you sat down and you actually wrote out a list of all the food rules that currently take up space in your head, I think you'd be pretty amazed by how many sheets of paper you'd need. Um, And when we are trying to make nutrition choices, all these food rules are constantly in conflict with each other. We don't know what actually we should be doing. At the same time, we we don't even need to subscribe to these rules. They could simply just be like part of our periphery. They're still making it hard for us to eat healthily. But when we actually tune into our bodies now, we listen to things like our hunger symptoms, um, you know, wait to eat until we feel hungry, try to stop eating when we do feel comfortably full and know that anytime we want more food, we are allowed. When we play it as simple as that, we actually find that we don't just eat everything in sight. Um, In fact, what ends up happening is when we try and restrict what we're eating, 
our body goes into this famine response. It feels like there's a star starvation happening. And as a result, you almost go into this primal state where you need to eat everything in sight. And I don't know if anyone listening has ever had a binge. It kind of feels like that. It's this deep sense of you're out of control. Um, it's, you, you know, you know, you don't want to be doing it, but at the same time, you, you can't stop it. You can't stop the behavior. And so I think what we need to do is work out, right, what are these food rules that are currently running amok in our brain and see if we can just get back to listening to our hunger. When we listen to our body, what we find is that we don't just want to eat chocolate and cake and burgers all the time. You know, it's like when you come back from a holiday and you've spent the whole time eating out, what you really crave is healthy food and home-cooked meals and, you know, the, and moving your body to feel strong again. And so I think when we actually do give ourselves permission, we actually find that our body craves a whole balanced array of food. It doesn't just crave, you know, well, you know, quote unquote, bad foods. And I think that's the real revelation. Many people probably don't have binge eating disorder, but I think pretty much everyone I speak to can relate to some degree of emotional eating or overeating and then feeling guilty about it. So this method, you know, of teaching people to listen to their body is useful for everyone. And I will say that, when you are a healthcare professional, the advice that you give to someone with an eating disorder and the advice that you give to someone without an eating disorder should be the same advice. If your advice is like, okay, well, you know, I can give this advice to someone who's overweight, but I wouldn't give this to someone who is anorexic. Well, aren't you simply giving the person who's overweight eating disorder advice then? Um, we need to have advice that, you know, whether or not you're underweight or, or um, overweight, you're still going to be able to do it. Things like, you know, we could all do with eating more vegetables and cooking at home and exercising for enjoyment um, and finding ways to make healthy food really enjoyable. It doesn't matter where you sit on a disordered spectrum, wherever you sit on a weight spectrum, this is the kind of advice that we need. Advice that is universal, that's healthy for all of us. And I slowly think we are, we are getting there slowly but surely <laughs> definitely Lindy it's a long process and it's it's a real transformative sort of time trying to reverse years and years of ingrained mm. habits in our society and in our belief systems about what we deem to be healthy and it does take time and I think we've oversimplified a extremely complex topic to make it even more complex than what it already is like <laughs> if we just if we just go back to the absolute basics of what is known to be work, what is known to work, which is the one thing that everyone agrees on that fruits and vegetables are healthy, let's incorporate them more. And we know that 10,000 steps per day is fantastic for our overall health and well-being. So let's try and get to that. If we just focus on those two sort of main things, instead of worried about intermittent fasting or um, <laughs> calorie counting, like there's so many different approaches to a simplified thing. That's exactly it. I am. Um, I often think, so I have this app called Back to Basics. And the reason I called it Back to Basics is because I think we, we overcomplicate nutrition so much and all we need to do is, is simplify it. Often I'll speak to people and they focus on the wrong thing. They focus on, let's say, let's say you only have a hundred points of willpower to use up each day. They go and use like 80 points of willpower on choosing a certain brand of yogurt as opposed to, all right, can I simply cook a little bit more this week? They basically are worrying about little things in their diet that really make no difference instead of focusing on the basics, the big picture, the stuff that makes 
you know, all the difference. So it's, it's, a, it's the 80, 20 rule very much. It's like, um, how do we spend, you know, we, we spend so much of our energy on stuff that doesn't make a difference, but ideally we need to spend 80, you know, 20% of our attention on stuff that makes 80% of the difference. Love that, Lindy. And I could not agree with you more. We often try and utilize these bonuses that help us um, boost our health, for lack of a better term, like intermittent fasting when used appropriately. And we use that as like our quick fix. But if our fundamentals aren't correct, like like I was saying before, they're mostly whole foods 80% of the time, um, moving our bodies more. Like if we're going to implement intermittent fasting, it's not going to make a difference. We're just going to spiral out of control again because our mm. fundamentals are not down pat. I mean, everyone can intermittent fast and get results. That's not that's not hard. the The real question you need to ask yourself is: Can you do that for the rest of your life? Can you sustain whatever it is? What, what and this is if okay. So whether it's intermittent fasting or you're wondering about keto and you're going, is this a healthy diet? I don't know. The one question you need to be able to answer is: Can I do this for the rest of my life? And if the answer is no then you know the answer. That is exactly where the, the diet is going to get you some temporary results and then ultimately going to lend you right back to where you were before. And so that's just an easy one for you to do. You know, can you do it sustainably? And if you can't do it, then don't even do it temporarily. Yeah, Lindy, that's such a really important point there because being in the fitness industry as a personal trainer, I often see people and they explain to me they're doing restrictive things, which I'm trying to encourage them to become more holistic and really dig deeper and find out the root cause as to why they're doing. I guess I've got two parts to this. I'll touch on the first part first. So I guess when people know that they're doing restrictive measures, like for example, they're not eating carbohydrates for a week, but they know that's restrictive, but then telling themselves that it's only for a short period of time, what is your advice for the consumer in that point in time when they know it is restrictive and they think to themselves that they're only going to do it for a short period of time? What is, what is some um, alternatives in terms of that? Well, I think what we know is that when someone does something like this, the results are always temporary. Um, and so beyond that, most people end up regaining more weight than they originally lost. Um, and each time we try one of these things, you know, let's say we go, all right, well, okay, I really have to be good. And so what we do is we're, oh, I'm going to have to, you know, cut out carbohydrates. All we're doing is we're swinging the pendulum a little bit further. So if you think about health as a pendulum, you're swinging from one side to the other. Every time we try an extreme approach, like cutting out carbohydrates, we're swinging the pendulum a little bit further. So we're almost like predicting that the come down after the, the carbohydrate load, after the carbohydrate cut, we're almost predicting that we're going to now overeat even more. And so once we've overeaten even more, now the guilt that we feel is going to be more intensified. So now the, the measure we're going to need to take to outdo what we just thought we messed up is going to be even greater. And so each time we're trying these attempts, what we're inadvertently doing is we're becoming more and more extreme. We're getting further and further away from balance, which is when that pendulum is not lo no longer swinging at all. And so basically you're setting yourself up for this extreme, unhealthy, all or nothing and totally unsustainable way. And the, the trickiest thing in health is this idea that we need patience. Um, you know, if you are like, let's say you are trying to recover from an eating disorder, for example, it takes a really long time. If you've been dieting for 10 years, 
20 years, 30, 40, 50, it's going to take a bit longer than a 12-week challenge to get you back into a point where you feel normal around food. Um, and if you find that you've been yo-yo dieting for you know many years, you're not going to just suddenly get results really quickly. So the hardest thing we can accept is that any, any kind of stimulus that's telling us that a quick fix is a good fix is actually deeply unhealthy. So this is why I hate, I hate before and after photos because they don't tell you anything about what happens after the after photo. They emphasize the fact that weight is really important when we know it doesn't tell us this whole picture of, about someone. Um, and, and just be really careful of any kind of approach where they're giving you like a deadline, a timeline by which you need to accomplish it by. Um, I think that would be a cue to run really far. But basically I would say to someone who is doing these kinds of approaches is, and, and you kind of have to, you, you can give them a word, but that they're probably still going to do it. Um, just be like, if you, if you can't maintain that for the rest of your life, it's probably not going to be useful. Even if you do lose the weight, you'll probably regain it again. Um, we can have a chat about that once you've, <laughs> once you've realized that. Yeah, I think everyone sort of has to come to their own realization at some point in time. And I know that from my own experiences within the, within my own dieting phase that mm. I had people giving me subtle hints about the behaviors and the mentality around food. For example, I was counting cucumber in my fitness part. Like when I look back <laughs> on that now, I'm just like pulling my hair out. I'm like cucumber's 90% water and I was putting it in my fitness part. Like what, what is going on? <laughs> Um, but at that time I didn't see it and I had so much tunnel vision towards, all right, I want to get to this goal and this goal only, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there. And mm. that process for me was extremely tormenting. So encouraging people to come to their own realization and letting people go on their own journey, I think is also really crucial, but as a person that's involved in someone's life, we need to be aware and be conscious of what's happening in someone's life. So we don't get to that point in the first place if that makes sense mm, exactly i will say though that generally just logging food in my fitness pal um if you're listening and you do have that behavior then that is a little bit of a sign that you probably don't have a healthy relationship with food and that it's probably not it probably could do with a little bit of work so just think about that yeah, totally. A lot of my community would know that I'm not necessarily against calorie counting because I think it does serve a purpose if you're training for a competition, if that's your goals. But for the purpose of this conversation, the purpose of longevity, it's not something that we want to be incorporating in our lifestyle. And it's great to understand the nutritional value from food, but I don't think it's relevant. I think if we come back to listening to our body's signs and symptoms, signs and signals, sorry, then we can't go wrong. I, you know, it's really interesting because if we look at calories of food, so let's say I, you know, to work out how many calories someone needs, I would take a few basic measurements. I'd look at your height, I'd look at your weight, your, your energy expenditure. And then I'd estimate based on things like your age and your gender, how much energy I think you're using each day. Then I'd try to work out how many calories I think you need. Now, that's a very basic and very inaccurate way of working out how much energy someone uses. And what we know is that depending on a whole bunch of other factors, some things like, you know, how well you slept, what the weather is like that day, um, hormones, you're going to burn a different amount of calories every single day. And research shows that when you actually listen to your hunger, people eat within 50 ca calories of their energy requirement for the day. 
which is deeply accurate. So we can't even compare. If you want to eat the appropriate number of calories, calorie counting is actually a very clumsy approach. It's a very inaccurate approach. And um, I, I see no longevity in it. And I personally see no purpose in doing it, even in the short term. When you have an inbuilt weight management system, that is your appetite, that sole purpose is to manage your weight. There is no other reason why we have appetite, but to tell us that we need more energy or we need less energy. So if we stop tuning into, you know, letting an app tell us how and when to eat and we listen to our bodies, some days you will burn less energy and you need to eat less. And some days you'll burn more, you'll be more hungry and that's perfectly okay. Um, It's normal to have hungry days. And on those hungry days, we actually do need to eat more. And that in turn supports our metabolism. Yeah, definitely. I think I couldn't have said it better myself, Lindy. That's fantastic advice there. Now, I want to unpack the thing that I was mentioning before, and that's surrounding goal setting. And it was, again, relation to sort of this fitness industry and not necessarily fitness industry, I guess the whole health picture of health and how society deems someone to be healthy. We, from what I've gathered, we often don't know why we're setting the goals we're setting. And I feel like as a personal trainer or as a health advocate, you really have a duty of care to dig deeper and ask the person why they're wanting to achieve those goals. Not, oh, why do you want to lose six kilos, for example? And the answer like could be, oh, to feel comfortable on the beach. Let's dig deeper and really unpack why someone feels the need that they need to look a certain way. And it's so common that we the often answer that I get is I don't know and people really don't know what they really want they're only going off what they see every day and I find that really disturbing yeah I think it's the the tricky thing is is you live in a world we all live in this world that's constantly telling us that our worth is based on what we look like and how much we weigh and it's it's everything around us that's telling us this stuff every single day it might be the people in your life who are making comments about how you look from either you look really good or they're you know saying something like should you really eat this it's the social media that you follow it's all these things and so I think for us to pinpoint or exactly what's causing me to have this attachment to how I look it's it is really tricky I think you're spot on that we have to dig deeper um, to try and understand what is someone's motivation for doing something because we don't you know so often we can do things because we we think we're doing the right thing and if we don't have the right motivation for it firstly it's not going to stick but also we can do some pretty unhealthy things to our body Um, one of the things I'm serious about is this idea that it's not worth sacrificing 95% of your life to weigh 5% less. And it's something that, you know, anyone who's dieted is going to be able to recognize that it's so right. Um, By the time you need to be so strict with what you're eating that you can't actually go out and socialize and enjoy your life. You have to stop and go, what's the point in this? Um, I find that any goal that relates to The negative is not good. So what I mean by that is very often in nutrition, we become obsessed with the foods that we're not allowed to eat. So um, (laughs) I'm not allowed to eat carbs or fat or sugar or whatever it is. And we create this long list of forbidden foods. And all this does psychologically is encourages us to try to crave it more because suddenly this is the, the forbidden fruit. And the way I think all goals should be structured is we need to focus on the foods we want to eat more of. So if you want to eat more, if you want to eat less of some, some certain stuff, 
start by focusing on the foods you want to crowd in. Naturally, what we're going to do by go, I want to eat more vegetables. I want to snack on at least two pieces of fruit a day. Um, as like, you know, when I do crave something sweet, what we're going to do is we're going to crowd out the less healthy options and we're not going to feel deprived. We're not going to feel like we're missing out because those foods are still allowed. We've simply changed the way that that goal is orientated in our lives. And the exact same thing applies for exercise. What we want to be doing is talking about ways that we can include it, but include it in a way that's deeply enjoyable. If you are setting a health goal and it is unenjoyable, it is not sustainable. Um, people often say to me, they're like, oh, I feel like I just need better willpower. No, you don't need better willpower. You need to stop relying on willpower. Willpower is this fair-weathered friend. It's a, it's a crappy ally. You, know, you have to be well-rested and um, <laughs> not busy and basically be on holiday all the time in order for your willpower to work. But the reality is we all live in these crazy busy lives and our willpower is just not going to have our back. So what you need to do is find health goals that just feel so easy and enjoyable they become your preference and they aren't a struggle to stick to. So what I'm saying is if you make sad, boring salads, <laughs> that's going to be completely soul destroying. It's going to suck the joy out of food. And no, it's not going to be sustainable. Maybe you'll be able to do it for a few months, maybe even a year, but at some point you're going to realize I don't want to live this way. So the thing about goals is how can we make them enjoyable? If exercise is ever not enjoyable, you're doing it wrong. Um, there are so many different ways to exercise and do exercise and different things we can be eating. Um, so just think about, does this feel good to me? And if it does, keep going. If it doesn't feel good, let's ditch it. Yeah, absolutely love that, Lindy. That is fantastic advice for goal setting. And if you guys take anything out of this, nothing out of this podcast, but that, that is an amazing bit of advice. Lindy, I'd love to unpack uh, something that we sort of touched on before, and that's the language associated with how we communicate with people. And I think this is such a really important and vital step for anyone that is known of someone that is dieting or is dieting themselves and can pay attention to the signs and symptoms of people talking to them around them. And often we again it's going back to how we paint this picture of health as what we look like and we we go and catch up with friends that we haven't seen for a while and they say oh my god you look great like you've lost so much weight you look so thin but we're not even going to unpack what they've been doing to get there and if that person has potentially taken restrictive measures and they're doing this completely unsustainable approach it almost Re reinforces the behavior in the first place. So I think our language associated with that is super, super important. Would you agree? Mm, mm, spot on. So true. Um, when I was probably at the height of my eating disorder phase, I lived away from home for uni and I basically not eat during the week. I use a few disordered habits and um, you know, do these things that were deeply unhealthy. And I'd go back and see my family during the weekend and the say you look so amazing whatever you're keep whatever you're doing keep doing it wow just so impressed by you and inadvertently what they didn't realize is they were endorsing my eating disorder they were telling me that these really unhealthy habits that I was doing were completely brilliant and wonderful and needed to be continued so my self-worth was very tied into that and you can't underestimate how often this happens um, where we are inadvertently endorsing someone for a really unhealthy habit. Now, is there a time and place where we can say to someone, oh my goodness, you look so great? Yes, absolutely. Is there a time where I think we should ever say to someone, 
oh my goodness, you're so thin and mean it like a compliment. No, I don't think we should ever be commenting on someone's weight, gain or loss. Now, if you are worried about someone, you know, let's say they've gained weight or they've lost weight, you can ask them the question, hey, is everything okay? You don't need to mention the weight at all. You just need to go if, and ask them the question. Typically, if someone is going through a bit of a weight change, there is a lot of change going on and there's a lot of emotional stuff that's happening for them too. I think it's deeply wrong to assume that if someone's lost weight, it's a good thing. And if they've gained weight, it's a bad thing. Um, sometimes people are heavier and they're much more comfortable and, and happier and, and healthier. Uh, I find now that I'm, I'm pregnant at the moment, I'm 34 weeks pregnant and I find it so hard when everyone thinks it's their right to comment on our bodies. So for me at the moment, it's questions like, oh my goodness, you're so huge. Are you having twins? Are you, you look like you're just about to pop. <laughs> and I know other women, they, they get comments like, oh, you're so tiny. Are you sure you're even pregnant? And either way you, you kind of slice this, um, it's, not help, it's not helpful or it's not a nice thing to be saying. I know there'll be people out there who are like, well, you're being, you're being, you know, too sensitive, really. You know, we can't say anything anymore to people. We can't comment. And I'm saying you can just don't comment on someone's weight. You never know if you're doing more harm than good. If you really give a shit about your friend or your family member, simply ask them how they're going, compliment them on something that isn't related to their weight. And I think you're going to be in a much safer zone. Amazing bit of advice there, guys, as well. This is um, such an amazing conversation, Lindy. I'm loving it. And I think that's really, really important as people that are associated with people that we know of that are doing some sort of dieting phase or they notice they've got some distorted eating behaviors. I think that's really, really important as well. Mm. Lindy, this transformation that you went through, no doubt it would have taken a long time to change those habits as we touched on before dieting for almost a decade and then trying to reverse those emotional rules that we associated with food. I'd love to know in a nutshell what that process looked like for you. And now looking back inside when you do notice those sorts of signs and symptoms coming back, like of going into that diet phase again, if they happen, what do you do to combat it? Mm, such a good question. Um, it did take me a really long time to recover and get to where I am now. I will say that one of the things I first started doing is I read up about intuitive eating, which is this idea that I've talked about briefly is we're simply listening to our hunger and letting our, that smart weight management system of our appetite guide us about when we should and shouldn't be eating. And so what I started with is just simply trying to work out when I was hungry. And after a decade of dieting, I had no idea what hunger felt like. You know, I'd look at people and they'd order dessert and halfway through the dessert, they'd get bored of the food and they'd push it away and they just didn't feel like eating anything more. And I was like, who are you? How does, how does that happen? <laughs> or I'd look at someone and they wouldn't finish everything on their plate. And I was like, oh, I can't do that. I realized I was doing things like I'd sit down to a meal and I'd already start thinking about seconds when I was going through like the first few mouthfuls. I think that was another moment where I was like, oh, I don't think that's the way everyone is. And I, every so often you do meet these people, um, they are naturally intuitive eaters. There are people who stop eating when they're hungry and uh, when, they're, when they're full and they, they eat when they're hungry. And so a really important part for me was trying to understand what does hunger even feel like? What are these very subtle symptoms that my body gives me to try and reacquaint it? Because I'd spent 
a decade ignoring hunger and doing everything I could not, never to feel hungry again um, without much success. So the process was small and gradual where I did start listening to my hunger. Um, I, start, I ditched any habit that I was doing because and that didn't feel good. So anything that felt like I was doing this as punishment, um, exercise had really become this thing that I did to control my weight. And so I had to really, to be honest, I had to pull back on exercise for a bit and reorientate my idea of what exercise was. So previously I thought that if it wasn't high intensity, if I wasn't sweating, then what's the point in doing it? But I came to realize that something like going for a walk, although you're not going to burn as many calories, you're not going to get the muscular kind of shape. You aren't going to do a whole lot of good for your brain and for your body. And I always love to think about this, you know, an hour walk that you enjoy is always better. No, sorry. 20 minutes of exercise that you enjoy is always better than an hour at the gym that never happens. So ultimately the goal is always to find enjoyable stuff. And so bit by bit, I added in enjoyable habits. And if it wasn't enjoyable and I tried it for a bit and it just didn't feel sticky, I ditched it. And once though that habit that I had adopted, like let's say I try to walk more, once that felt like, okay, this is a part of my lifestyle now, then I go, all right, I'm ready for the next one. And so basically I did this thing where it's like habit stacking. Over the first four years that I did this, I lost 20 kilograms. And the amazing thing about that is I was never trying to lose weight um, for the first time in my life. I shifted the focus away from weight loss and towards being healthy and doing things that felt good. And what's important about this weight loss, the fact that it happened over four years, is that had I been trying to lose weight, what I would have seen is that I was only losing 100 grams um, I think it's, it's a per week. And it, had I been trying to lose weight and I was losing it at such a, you know, you know slow pace compared to you know, what people recommend, there is no way I would have maintained it. I would have thought I'm doing all this stuff to lose weight and the scale is not shifting. It's not shifting fast enough. This is not working. And I would have given up and I would have, that pendulum would have swung from one side to the other and I would have binge eat or I would have, you know, gone to a more extreme approach And, you know, that would have derailed me. But because the emphasis was not on my weight, I wasn't tracking it, my body simply came and found its healthiest weight. Now, I think what we need to appreciate about your body is that it does want you to be healthy. It wants you to be a healthy weight. It's in in its interest for you to be a healthy weight. Um, And so when I stopped trying to control what I ate, food stopped controlling me, and I could just trust that at some point my body would just find its own little sweet spot. Um, And I tell you what, it's very hard to live in this world that is always telling us that we need to be thin or look leaner or have be more ripped and not to get sucked into wanting to weigh less or to go on a diet. It's incredibly tempting. What I typically found is that recovery didn't happen quickly. Um, the, The temptation to diet was still there, but except what had changed is my willingness to go on that diet and and I did, I did stumble and I went on many a diet after I decided I was going to try this new approach. And every time I'd be reminded about why ugh, I knew that wasn't going to work. Why did I do it? Um, what ended up happening and what happens with binge eating, by the way, with recoveries, you don't just suddenly stop binge eating. What happens is maybe you're binging every day and then you start binging a few times a week and maybe those binges get easier and lighter or, you know, less intense. And then, 
maybe you go towards only binging once a week and then it's once a month and then it's once every six months. And I think one of the important things that we need to do is we can't see, we, you know, normally we go, well, I binged, I've messed up. I need to start all over again from scratch. I'm not getting in anywhere. You got to realize is that these little bits of progress, they don't need to be perfect. It's perfectly fine to take two steps forward and one step back. Um, when we expect perfection from ourselves, when we expect quick results, when we expect things to be instant, that's when we stumble. And one of the things I often said to myself at the time was, Lindy, if in a year from now, you never have to worry about food again, it's your weight is never going to be a problem in your life again, then this slow and steady approach will be completely worth it. Um, because what we know is that old version wasn't working. So at some point you have to go, all right, I know I'd like to just, you know, I, you know what, I mean, people often are like, well, you know, I'm first going to just quickly lose some weight and then I'll work on my relationship with food, you know, but I first want the body and then I'll work on the relationship with food. It can't work that way. You need to fix your relationship with food and then just become curious about what happens to your weight as a result of it. Um, you know, especially when it comes to binge eating, many people who stop binge eating naturally lose weight, but you don't lose weight by trying to stop binge eating. So I think that's a really important one. Or should, should I say you don't stop binging by trying to lose weight? So I think at some point we just need to accept that this is going to be a slow process. I'm going to embrace progress, not perfection, and see how long it takes us. I absolutely love that, Lindy. That's such fantastic advice. And it brings back flashbacks for me when I was through my sort of dieting phase and sort of coming towards the end of it, I wanted to have this goal of getting under 80 kilos. And I remember when I started the dieting phase, I was about 84 kilos and I took photos of my body then. And I remember distinctly one morning I'd haven't hadn't really eaten much a few days leading up to just because I wasn't really hungry and I wasn't and my body wasn't you know giving me this hunger signal so I was starting to sort of listen to them at that point in time and I remember weighing myself and I was 80.4 and I was so furious at myself that I couldn't get 400 grams less and I took photos and I, I I took photos of that day and compared them to when I was 84 kilos and my body was exactly the same exactly the same so for me to focus on losing four kilos and have this extreme sort of pressure and anxiety around losing that four kilos when the photos showed the exact same picture it was the same person looking at me I just look at myself and that was like a big turning point for me like whoa your your weight's not defining you like this is Mm -hmm. this is nothing Mm, I think we I think so many of us are going to be able to relate to that this idea of having this gold number in our minds about where we want to get to with the weight well I previously weighed this much and therefore I want to weigh this much again or this is just a number that I think is going to make me feel happy the interesting thing about that is when we do get to that weight very often it's never enough that goalpost just get shifts a little bit further um, or it's just this idea that I'll be happy when I get that weight. I don't know if you've ever had this moment where you've looked back at an old photo of yourself and you've gone, oh, my goodness, look how good I look. I look amazing. And yet you can go back to that time in your brain and be like, I don't remember feeling that way. I remember waking up that day and feeling guilty about what I'd eaten the night before. I remember not feeling like I looked attractive. I remember feeling really crappy about myself. And I think when you have that moment, it's evidence to the fact that your body image has nothing to do with what you weigh. 
It is about how you perceive yourself. And um, no, you won't suddenly be happier when you get to this goal weight. We need to first work on being okay with yourself, being okay with your imperfections. And it's kind of amazing what ends up happening to your body when you do let go of that pressure, all those rules that you're giving yourself and these really unattainable expectations. Your body is allowed to change throughout your life. It's allowed to, you're allowed to shift weights. You're allowed to lose muscle, gain muscle, and allow for that natural ebb and flow in your life. And you don't have to remain in some certain body and you don't have to get back to the weight that you were in high school. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. A million times, yes. <laughs> That's so, so true, guys. Um, Lindy, I, I can't thank you enough for this conversation. It's been incredibly insightful. And I know we could probably chat for hours, but I know we're both pressed <laughs> for time. I have one final question before we wrap it up. And knowing what you know now and being on the journey that you know, what would you say to your 11-year-old self if you were the nutritionist or the dietitian in, in your shoes? Oh, what would I say? <laughs> oh, man, it's such, a, it's such an important question. I would, I, would, I would not even allow that 11-year-old to end up in my session. I wouldn't see an 11-year-old kid. Um, I'd wonder why that kid was being sent to me in the first place. And the conversation would, would be around that. Your body is just perfect the way it is and you don't need to shift it. Um, I think the conversation around health, and I did touch on this before, is it should be enjoyable. It has to be enjoyable. And if it's not enjoyable, you're doing it wrong. Um, I think if you could try find the enjoyment in what you do, you're always going to have stability and consistency. Um, and as I said before, it's really not worth sacrificing 95% of your life just to weigh 5% less. So at some point, we need to realize that healthy enough is good enough. Um, I just quickly, I'll give you an example of like adding salad dressing. I think so often people are like, well, salad dressing might have a little bit of too much sugar or it has a little bit of fat and, you know, do I really need that? But ultimately salad dressing makes salad so delicious. It's the only reason I want to eat salad. Let's be honest. So when you start adopting nutrition perfection, this idea that everything has to be perfect in order to be okay, when you take the joy out of food, then what you're left with is a very unsustainable kind of diet. Um, and I think, you know, when you start nitpicking on the wrong things, things like salad dressing or, you know, the sauce that you're using, the things that actually help you eat healthily, you're actually making it so hard for yourself to eat healthily. We know that the reason people struggle with their weight has nothing to do with things like salad dressing or whether or not you ate an extra piece of bread or whether or not, you know, your yogurt was the perfect brand of yogurt. These things don't matter to get the fundamentals right. So we know we want to move more. We know we want to eat more vegetables. We know we want to um, cook more at home. And notice how I don't say we want to eat less takeaway, but I'm saying we want to cook at home more. And when we start doing these things, then it all just kind of falls into place. So keep the enjoyment in and health is going to be easy. Beautifully said. I had a, a little chuckle at that Instagram post you put up, Lindy, about the, the salad <laughs> dressing was never the cause of anyone being overweight. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Like that's not why anyone struggles with their weight, salad dressing. So May true. we all have such problems. Yeah, especially when we're not even there yet to be having that conversation when under 10% of Australian adults aren't even eating enough fruits or vegetables in their day. <laughs> exactly. And also salad dressing helps you absorb nutrients. So um, it's a silly, it's a, it's silly advice to eat, put salad dressing on the side. 
Love it. So true. Well, Lindy, this has been incredible. I'd love to know where people can get in contact with you and find more about your basic back to basics app and your keep it real program. Awesome. So um, I am the nude nutritionist on social media. You can find me on Instagram, nude underscore nutritionist. Um, my website's lindycohen.com. And I do have my app, which is back to basics, which is if you want to learn how to be healthy without dieting, that's it's for you. It's kind of an app to make it all seem easy and doable and help you with enough structure to help you feel like you know what you're doing, but plenty of flexibility and variety. And then I have Keep It Real, which is my program if you're struggling with binge eating um, or feel out of control around food. If you feel like you know what you should be doing, but you find that you're not able to actually stick to it, then Keep It Real will take you through the steps that I learned to learn how to stop binge eating, how I learned how to stop dieting um, and so you can basically reset yourself and create a much healthier relationship with food and once you've done these things and you have this healthy relationship with food you'll find that being healthy is just so much easier beautifully summarized lindy thank you so much for dedicating this time to record this episode as i mentioned like you have been influencing my life for so long now and it's amazing to be able to sit across from you and, and have this conversation so thank you so much thank you so much for having me it's been awesome Well, there you have it, friends. Lindy Cohen, you are an absolute wealth of knowledge and I can't thank you enough for sharing your incredible wisdom with the Euphoria Health community today. Guys, if this podcast was triggering in any way, please don't hesitate to reach out to the support networks in the show notes. I really hope that you guys gained a lot from this episode and can start creating more sustainable habits with your food choices. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the podcast, friends. I will see you next time. Have a great week.